L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. We've got guest producer Matt over here that makes this Stuff You Should Know. Sunshine edition. The storms are gone. Well, plus they say sunshine is the greatest disinfectant. Oh, really? Yeah, you shine a light into dark corners and it reveals truth. Gotcha. Plus, you know, people are less shady in the sunlight. So this is part episode two of our recording sesh of uh, Freshly Being Without Power, Irma Going Through Atlanta, mm-hmm. Dead Cats. Right. And I'm going on vacation. Oh, good. Tomorrow. Good. So if anyone wants to meet me at the Isle of Palms, South Carolina, mm-hmm. build a time machine. Right. <laughs> go back a few weeks mm-hmm. and you'll find me drinking gin and tonics on the beach. Nice. Song's child. Oh, really? Wow. You're vacationing vacation? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Not uh, frustratingly running around trying to get sand out of uh, sunscreen. Right, yeah. Off a small child. That's a losing proposition. Yeah, man. Can't wait. Good. Well, enjoy yourself. We were originally going to Folly Beach, but it was damaged. Sure. The house was. But uh, this one was not. No? So they moved us. I've never been to Isle of Palm. Is it shaped like a palm, like in Dubai? No. <laughs> It's just one of Charleston's, uh, I don't know what they call them, low country border islands? Sure. Maybe? That's what they call them now. Right next to Sullivan's Island mm-hmm. and uh, James Island and Folly Beach are all kind of right there. I gotcha. Great area. Yeah. Can't Charleston's a- amazing. Yeah. I, we're going to go in for dinner and stuff yeah. and try to throw a little money at their economy, but um, that, I think they had some really bad flooding, so hope yes. everyone's all right there. I think like three or six feet. Storm surge, or and something that was—they like were that? on the outskirts yeah. of Irma. Yeah, it's true. They were not even in the path at, in the end. Not good stuff. No, not good. Well, I'm glad Charleston made it, and I'm glad you're going to Charleston. Man, I can't wait. I'm going to eat so much seafood. Yeah. All right, so Chuck, as I was saying, sunshine is the greatest disinfectant. Yeah, let's hope. Um, there's actually something called Sunshine Week. Have you heard about that? No. It's a week that celebrates openness in government. It's as simple as that. It's the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. Nice. It's their thing. And they're trying to shine a light on the idea of shining a light on government, right? And that existed until this year? It's still, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. No, actually, it's funny. Like, um, the last guy gets a lot of uh, credit and praise for being open, but f- in retrospect, supposedly, it was very much a lot of smoke and mirrors. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, there yeah. was it was not a very open administration either. Well, you know what they say: politics is politics. Who says that? I don't, I don't is that, that Isle of Palm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's politics is politics. Have another crawfish. Yeah, pass the uh, frogmore stew. Is there a frog in that? No, uh, that's just like the, a low country boil. I got you. frogmore stew. Yeah, yeah. I love low country boil. I'm gonna make that. I think you should. My own self. I think you should bring some back here for me. Mm, yeah. I don't know if it... I guess it would keep. It depends. <laughs> you so know. I don't want to be like, here's a week old frogmore stew, right. Josh. I'd probably still eat it. I know you would. So um, the idea of of government giving up its secrets, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually fairly new yeah, here in the States. For sure. Um, there's a... a time not too long ago where if you wanted classified information or any information from the federal government they you had really no way to ask for it Mm -hmm. and even if you could figure out who to ask for it from they would say no they would say no and then you would you'd say well what next nothing next man go back to sleep citizen that was your role to just shut up and stop asking questions (laughs) yeah and Thankfully, for those of us who believe that government should be way more transparent than it is, uh-huh. uh, there was a guy named uh, Representative John Moss from California. He was a congressman back in the 60s. And he became concerned that, con- that um, not Congress, but the federal government, the executive branch, was getting a little too opaque. Yeah. And specifically, there was a, a report that he asked for that concerned um, the firing of some civil servants, ostensibly because their loyalty to the administration had been questioned. Yeah. And so they got fired, and he wanted to look into it. And the federal agency he requested the documents from said no. And he was a congressman. Yes, he was. So he said, I'll be back. Yeah, uh, Arnold style. Right. Uh, Then this was, what, 13 or so years after... Um, the American Society of Newspaper Editors published a study mm-hmm. about secrecy in the government and basically said what you said, which is n- citizens have no access to records, no recourse right. if they're denied records. Yeah. That was in 1953. Kind of surprising to me it was that early that well, they were kind of uh, ringing the bell for this. Sure. But I think the Cold War, like almost immediately, the development of the bomb and the Cold War really drove this this desire to keep everything secret. Yeah. And the federal government, the executive branch, keeps everything secret by classifying everything. Right. There's this kind of mentality that is classify everything. When in doubt, classify it. Yeah. Because not only does it... it it obscures what you're doing from, say, like your enemy. Mm-hmm. It also obscures what you're doing from your citizenry. So you can't be questioned. You can't be criticized. You can't be exposed as incompetent. Right. If no one knows what you're doing, they can't see that if you're doing it poorly. Yeah. And that they could actually do it better or know somebody who could do it better or could elect somebody who could do it better. And as uh, the, the way that you do that is to just classify everything, keep it a secret. Yeah. I've always had the feeling that if the federal government in the United States had its druthers, mm-hmm. they would operate in complete isolated secrecy. Yeah, well, they're trying like to. Like 100 percent. Like you wouldn't even have press conferences. Right. Like they would just shut it down and say, don't 
don't you guys worry about anything. We we have it covered. Yeah. Just, just just go about your yeah. day. <laughs> go about your business. Uh, so Moss went to uh, fellow Democratic uh, president, fellow Democrat President Lyndon Johnson, and said, you know, I think we uh, should change the way we're doing things here. And Johnson said, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnson. Johnson, we should. He's a very interesting. Uh, I think conflicted dude. Yeah. Uh, we should do a, a show on him at some point. I'd be happy to. Very ambitious uh, domestic policies. Like he wanted to be FDR, like the second coming. Right. Didn't know a lot about foreign policy. Oh, that's not good. No. It, it, he's a very interesting dude. Anyway. He's a domestic. He was a domestic guy. Huh? I never realized that he didn't know about foreign it, policy. It was not his specialty. I got gotcha. you. Uh, I think he wanted to do great things for this country. Um in his heart. Right. But uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I think ever since I saw the uh, Cranston play in New York. What's it called? All the Way, I think. And they made it to I didn't see the movie version, but I saw the play. All the Way? That's what it's called? I think so. I think that's like a, no? a tawdry John Ritter film or something <laughs> like that. No, that's Let's Go All the Way. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. I miss John Ritter. Sure. He was the best. Uh, so anyway, Johnson said, I don't know about that. Uh, all the all the federal departments and agencies said, I definitely don't know about that. Bad idea. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, the bell had been rung in 1966. The House. And this is something that is kind of fun to look back on when these days. How things are, how they are, how divisive they are. Right. Back then, the House voted 307 to zero to pass the Moss Freedom of Information Act, the FOIA. Mm-hmm. And uh, Johnson signed it and uh, didn't have a big press conference when he signed it, like they do a lot of big laws and bills. He signed it in secrecy. Yeah, he did. Like, well, we'll sign it, but maybe if people don't know about it, right. they won't uh, go off. We don't, have to, we don't have to go around <laughs> shooting our mouths off about it. Uh, but he did say no one should be able to pull the curtains of secrecy around decisions which can be revealed without injury to the public interest. I sign this measure with a deep sense of pride that the United States is an open society. Uh, but that, no, one, no that, one heard that, right? right. <laughs> like the doors are shut, correct? So, yeah, he signed it in secrecy, which is a little weird. Uh, and also opened the door for, like, you know, that, that second part of the first sentence is uh, decisions which can be revealed without injury to the public interest. There's a big caveat attached to that right. openness. Right, exactly. Don't forget, we have ways around this. Yeah. Um, and you said that it was heartening to hear that Congress unanimously passed the FOIA Act, right? Yeah, a little bit, right? This is what it is. Uh, this is not the only time Congress has come together unanimously in defense of FOIA. In 2014, which we'll talk about later, they did. 2014. Yeah. With John Boehner as the, um, at the helm of the House and Obama in the White House. And the the Congress divided as much as it's ever been. The House came together unanimously mm-hmm. in in for this FOIA Act or Amendments Act. There was also a time uh, when Gerald Ford was president where Congress overrode a veto of his yeah. as far as FOIA. So FOIA is this one thing because for for those of you who don't know, it only pertains to documents in the control of the executive branch of the federal government, just the executive branch, just the White House. So any secrets the president's administration is keeping, that's what it's pertaining to, okay? 
So Congress very frequently comes together and it's like, no, we want you to share this information with everybody, including us. Yeah. And they look like the good guys, too, for coming to the aid for open and honest and transparent government. And just to clarify, Chuck, like it's not just like the White House. Right. There's tons of agencies, federal agencies that fall under the executive branch, including like the FBI or the CDC. Right. Or the um, just basically any agency, if any federal agency is probably under the purview of the, the, the executive branch. So therefore, FOIA would apply to it as well. Correct. That very nice to point that out because you confused even me <laughs> off off mic. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, so this uh, I think this this bears reading this quote. There's a journalist named John uh, Weiner or Weiner who he um, tried for 14 years to get John Lennon's FBI files mm-hmm. uh, through FOIA requests, and he very succinctly uh, wrote this. And it kind of sums it up to me. Uh, the basic issue was that government officials everywhere like secrecy. By keeping the public from learning what they have done, they hope to avoid criticism, hinder the opposition, and maintain power over citizens and their elected representatives. Classified files and official secrets lie at the heart of the modern government bureaucracy. I have such a hard time with that word. That's a tough one. It's almost impossible to spell, too. <laughs> oh, I don't even try. Uh, and permit the unde- uh, undemocratic use of power to go unrecognized and unchallenged by citizens. Right. And he was just trying to get John Lennon's files. All right. That's how riled up he got. Exactly. <laughs> you know? You don't want to rile up a journalist. But that's who this pertains to for the most part. I should say, not entirely, but yeah, for the most part is accurate. Journalists. Journalists are the ones who are supposed to be reporting on mm-hmm. the goings-on of the government, especially when it comes to exposing wrongdoing, corruption, waste, yeah. all this stuff. That's one of the main roles of the media, right? Yeah, journalists and more and more now activists. Right. Thankfully, citizen activists. Right. And one of the reasons why citizen activists have gotten in on this is because the journalists aren't doing it enough. Yeah. Um, but the, the early on, the um, journalists were largely in support of FOIA. The Congress was like, sure, why not? It'll probably make the president, who we don't like, look bad. And um, now we have, as of the 1966 Act, the Freedom of Information Act, right? Yeah, which officially, uh, I mean, people know what this is. This is the ability of a, of a citizen of the world, uh, very important there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to just be an American citizen. Right. To request records of... An executive branch, like you said, government agency. Right. Uh, and along with that act, originally in 1966, said these are available to the public with nine exemptions, which we'll go over later, mm-hmm. um, that will protect the agency uh, under certain circumstances. And if you are denied, there is also now a process in place to appeal that denial. Right. Very important. And so when LBJ signed it into law, it was basically like, yeah, I guess just go along with it. But if you don't feel like it, you don't have to. Right. Right. Um, That's kind of went for a while. Yeah. Until Watergate. The Watergate scandal really changed people's relationship with government big time. It changed government's relationship to government. Yeah. And one of the things that happened was there was an update to FOIA and a strengthening of FOIA um, so that there were like greater sanctions if you didn't follow through on on, um, uh, supplying the requested information. Yeah. It was harder to just say no, to deny it. Yeah, they had a specific time frame finally. Right. Like you couldn't just say, yeah, we'll get to it. Right. So uh, Congress puts uh, these FOIA amendments or updates on Gerald Ford's desk to sign. 
And uh, he's like, no. He, well, he looked around the room and said, uh, what should I do? Right. <laughs> and the two people that piped up were Donald Rumsfeld, his chief of staff, uh-huh. and Antonin Scalia, who was the uh, chief legal counsel for the Justice Department. And they both yeah. said, don't sign it. Yeah, and apparently, at least this article says that Rumsfeld early on was a supporter of FOIA. Right. I think in the very uh, easily manipulated version. Right. Yeah. But when it when it came time to get a teeth. Right. Yeah. He said, no, don't. And so Ford argued that it was unconstitutional. And Congress said, you're wrong. And we're overriding your veto. Yeah. That does not happen. very. Yeah. (laughs) You say tattoo. That doesn't happen very often that a veto is overridden. I don't. Have you ever done one on vetoes? No, we totally should. We should should, because I have no idea how often it happens, but I guarantee you it's not often. All right, so let's take a break. Um, We're just getting heated up here on this one. Uh, And as you'll see in the coming segments, uh, FOIA changes. Gets more teeth and less teeth over the years, depending on whose office. And we'll be right back with Ronald Reagan. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ronnie. He's no, here. It's, it's Gipper, remember? <laughs> That's right. Ronnie's the weirdo. Uh, so like I promised, uh, over the years, FOIA has um, had more teeth and less teeth, depending on who is running the show. Sure. Um, probably not so surprisingly, when Ronald Reagan got into office in 1982, uh, or in 1982, he created, he made it much tougher to uh, to get information, made it easier for agencies to withhold stuff. Yeah. Um, Bill Clinton comes along, relaxes things. Right. It kind of goes like that in our country. Well, Reagan also, one of his things was um, he definitely helped spearhead that classify everything mentality. Oh, in the 80s, yeah. Under his administration. Yeah, he said print. He said manufacture as many classified 
rubber stamps as you can. Right. Every office needs about a hundred of them. And I think especially during the Cold War, the Soviets served as a real boogeyman for keeping citizens oh, yeah. in the dark. For sure. We don't want the Ruskies to find out. So, no. Yeah. We we don't trust you with this because you might hand it over to the Ruskies. Yeah. That was what they said. And they said Ruskies, too. They did. So, uh, like I said, Clinton comes wrong, along and there were a few um, few big events in his administration. But hold on. Think about it. When Clinton comes along, no more USSR. Well, true. Yeah. No more boogeyman. Right. It was good times, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's party. Uh, Did you like my Clinton? Yeah, that was good. It was not. I think together we do the perfect Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, during his administration, had a bunch of big, um, a bun- uh, had a big impact on FOIA. We're calling it FOIA, right? Yeah, Freedom of Information Act. It's a perfect acronym because it takes all words into account. FOIA. Yeah, and it's not fake. No. No one just like cooked up some weird word to throw in there to make it a word. Right, it's FOIA. (laughs) So uh, the release and archiving of Cold War, previously classified Cold War documents, was a big one. And then in 1996, a really big um, sea change is when Clinton said, you know, get with it. And digitize all this stuff. Right. Like, this is the future. We don't need everything on paper documents. Make it easier uh, to file and store this stuff, A, and make it easier to distribute this stuff right. under FOIA. Yeah. And it was, uh, and also, uh, they extended that timeline. I don't think we initially said it was 10 days. Yeah, you had 10 days to respond to a FOIA request as a FOIA Requester. officer. Oh, yeah, officer. Right. Um and then it, that was extended to 20 days, although it says in here that that wasn't so much of a big deal. Just gave him a little more time, basically. No, because uh, an agency that's not frequently contacted for FOIA information mm-hmm. and is not running a backlog is probably going to do it in about 10 days anyway, right? Right. An agency that is running a backlog is still not going to get in touch with you within 10 days or 20 days. So right. it really had no effect. Yeah. But it, it is on the books still to this day. They have 20 days to respond to you before you can appeal their lack of response. So um, George Bush, uh, George W. Bush comes along, of course, and uh, tightens restrictions again after September 11th. That was the the perfect time to tighten the belt mm-hmm. on FOIA. Uh, again, yeah, the, the boogeyman is back. USA Patriot Act. So uh, after September 11th, um, he ordered or, you know, the administration ordered thousands of documents and data removed from websites, agency websites, things mm-hmm. like airport uh, safety data, things like pipeline maps, environmental data. I got to tell you, I don't disagree with all of that. Th- this is a double edged sword. You know, this, this this topic itself is to unpack this thing fully. Right. Like, it's hard to make an argument for full transparency or full secrecy. Sure, yeah. I don't think I would argue for full transparency. I think just by definition, we would have to get so far away from being like the world's police. Yeah. And having like military everywhere and like being interventionist and adventurist and all. Just basically completely change the complexion of the modern United States to be able to be fully transparent. Yeah, you can. And even then it might be kind of foolish. Like Norway can be fully transparent. But even still, like, can they? (laughs) Like maybe somebody be like, well, I'm... I want to practice being a terrorist, so I'm going to start on Norway because right. they publish all their pipeline information. Yeah. So maybe I'll just go see what happens when I blow that up. Or the great wooden shoe scandal of the uh, 
Was that Norway or the Netherlands? <laughs> I don't think they wear wooden shoes in Norway. Oh, I just I just think they all wear wooden shoes all over the place. But they there. don't. <laughs> we have listeners there, man. They're going to hear you. I know, but they 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 know we're kidding. Right? I don't know. The Australians thought we were serious about drinking Fosters down there. Really? Yeah, didn't you see how many emails we got that were like gently correcting us that no one actually really drinks Fosters in Australia? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, Bush also, what he made a move to do was limit access to records of former presidents, which was uh, sort of a big move. Um, and then in the Intelligence Authorization Act of 2002, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to limit uh, requests by foreign governments or international organizations. Right. So again, okay, I, I don't really disagree with all of it. One of the other things that Bush did too was um, he expanded who could get cheap or free access to FOIA. Yeah. So, um, journalists, I think as part of the um, Watergate expansion or maybe the Clinton expansion, journalists were offered um, expedited and cheap, if not free, mm-hmm. FOIA um requests. Yeah, we should point out you have to pay for this stuff. It yeah. ain't free. No, huh? The journalists get a break. They say that and apparently there's not a um there's not a standard fee. It's just that as part of the law, an agency can recover costs associated directly associated with the search, right? Mm-hmm. Um so it could be $11 an hour, it could be $200 an hour depending. Yeah. Journalists get faster, expedited service, uh, on paper at least, and then they uh, get their fees waived or else pay a reduced fee. And then what Bush did uh, with the changes to FOIA under his watch were um, to expand who qualifies as a journalist. So it now included independent investigative journalists, bloggers, um, and then public interest groups apparently had always been included in that too. I just like thinking of uh, W saying the word blogger. (laughs) <laughs> like, I get the feeling that he didn't even know what that was. And What's not that, because man, of huh? intelligence. He just always struck me as, like... Aloof? I know he got made fun of for intelligence, but I don't think it's because of intelligence. I think he's the the, the dude, though, that would sit down at a computer and just kind of be like, how, how do I work this thing? Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. Just sort of old school. Right. Rootsy. N- he didn't know what a blogger was. Maybe not. Come on. Maybe not. Or a vlogger. Boy, you want no, to blow no, his mind? He, I agree with you. He definitely didn't know what a vlogger was. <laughs> At any rate, it was uh, the he, Honest Leadership and Open Government Act. It was a good thing that um, – and, of course, Harry Reid is who introduced the bill. But um, See, that's what I'm saying. Congress is like, we don't like this president. We're going to make him look bad Yeah. and force a FOIA, some new FOIA stuff on him. And then all it does is just point the point, – it shines a light on just how secretive the government is. Yeah. And then Congress looks good by trying to pull pull back the curtains. That's right. Then Obama gets on his. Uh, his but, but hold on, I'm sorry. But that's not to say that uh-huh. even if Congress is doing it cynically, that it's a bad thing. Right. It, it's actually a very good thing. Yes. It's just I don't think that Congress is riding to the rescue of the American people. Yeah. yeah. I think that their motive is probably to make the president look bad. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so then Obama mounts his horse and rides into the White House. Um, how great would that have been if he literally did that? Like Ronald Reagan. <laughs> he probably did. Yeah. Um, in 2009, he, the uh, very first day in office, he uh, said, here's a memo. We're going to be the most uh, transparent government. 
That's my Obama. <laughs> in American history. Yeah. And everyone went, yes, that's awesome. And he went, you think people bought that? Yeah. He's like, oh, my gosh, they did. Yeah, he said that he wanted to adopt. He wrote a memo, like you said, the first day in office. Very first day. And he said that federal agencies, agencies should adopt a presumption in favor of disclosure. Mm-hmm. So lean toward releasing it rather than against it, which is a big difference. Yeah. And he actually had Eric Holder, um, who was running the DOJ for him. I guess that'd make him his attorney general, right? Eric yeah. Holder was attorney general, wasn't he? I think so. Um, and he he said, figure out how to codify this. And the, he did. They came up with um, guidelines for the federal agencies to become more transparent. Yeah, and a lot of it, this is in 2016. Um, well, no, that was in 2009. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. By the time 2016 rolled around, the exact opposite was going on. Yeah, 2016 is when the FOIA Improvement Act was uh, was put through. and um, Foisted onto Obama. Yeah, this was the one that supposedly just kind of reinstated a lot of what it was supposed to do to begin with that had been uh, shirked over the years, from what I understand. Yeah, um, it, it was also an attempt to take that codified presumption of dis, of disclosure uh-huh. um, that the DOJ had come up with and put it into law. Yeah. Like, make it part of the FOIA Act. And a FOIA request revealed lobbying by the Obama administration, intense lobbying by the Ob- Obama administration to prevent that 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 codification that it that in- administration had come up with yeah. to prevent that from becoming part of FOIA law. Yeah. And uh, at the same time they're talking about how they're the most transparent administration ever but they're also behind the scenes lobbying against right. it. Um and the thing that caught everyone's attention or at least the people who filed these FOIA requests to get this information um is that in 2014, Congress, well, the House passed a bill that had this in it, mm-hmm. 410 to nothing, unanimously passed oh, it. Oh, yeah. And then it was never brought up for a final vote. John Boehner never called for a final vote. It was just allowed to die. That's pretty suspicious. Yeah. So when they finally got to the bottom of it, they saw that the DOJ and the Obama administration, and then later on the FTC, the Trade Commission, and the Securities and Exchange Commission were all very much lobbying against yeah. the expansion because one of the things that um, that it serves as an exemption to FOIA requests is anything that has to do with the financial system or the agencies that regulate them. Yeah. So the FTC and the SEC can do whatever they want and keep all their documents secret, yeah. and no one can do anything about it. Well, the, the 2016 FOIA Act would have expanded that, but that got lobbied out. Sorry. So, so disheartening. It is you know? quite disheartening. I mean, it's uh, yeah, like the Obama administration being the most transparent administration of all time is just such bullocks. It's just completely untrue. Yeah. And yet it's it's a myth that that was perpetuated by that administration that still stands today. Yeah. They used the Espionage Act more than all the other presidents before them combined since the Espionage Act was was created. And I think the beginning of the 20th century um, to to prosecute journalists sources you just didn't go after journalists or their sources. The Obama administration was the first one to do that. So there's a lot wrong with the idea that it was the most transparent ever. Should we take a break? <laughs> I think maybe we should. All right. Uh, we will be back. And, boy, I still, like we're, still feel like we're heating up here. Got a lot to cover. Yeah. We'll be back uh, with how you can file one of these things right after this. 
LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so as said before, uh, you can be a foreign national, you can be a U.S. citizen if you want to file a FOIA request. Uh, you can be a corporation, you can be a news outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, well, probably most times you're journalists. Uh, and we already kind of went over the fees, but, um, what you do is if you want to request documents, yeah, we went over the fees, just fill this out in triplicate, get it back to us. Uh, to request documents, you appeal, um, to directly to that agency that holds the documents. Well, that's just for your own, so you don't waste time. Well, yeah. You want to find out who to send it to. Yeah. And, um, no, I think you legally have to go to that agency and to the, through the FOIA office. Okay. I think you have to do both, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Maybe not. But it's a good idea. Well, too. each agency has its own FOIA office. Right. Okay. So, uh, well, yeah, that, that bears pointing out. Like, that's part of the FOIA Act and all the improvements over the years is there is somebody at every office that heads this up. Right. At least one person. And it's it's got to be on their website. You've, there's got to be clear directions on how to do this. Right. And most of the federal agencies will have a very easy form that you can fill out on their FOIA. The easy form? Uh, yeah, exactly. What are you easy. pissed about? Right, exactly. <laughs> That's the first question. What, what did we do to your family that you want to know about? <laughs> exactly. Um, that you just fill out these different fields and, and you can submit a FOIA request like that. Yeah. Uh, d- depending on what you're after. Uh, we'll determine how long this takes or if you get a response at all initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say it's first come, first serve. Uh, if you're, it depends on what you're looking for and who the agency is, quite honestly. If you're looking for a few pages of a document right. from uh, the Forestry Service, you might get that thing turned around pretty quick. They will bring it to your house that day. If you were looking yeah, with a smile, yeah. then, then they'll ride their little horse away. Yeah. Everyone's riding horses. Be safe with fire. Um if you're looking for 600 pages from the CIA, good luck. Yeah. It'll take a little while. You will undoubtedly end up in federal court probably filing a complaint. Yeah, because in that case. FOIA requests very frequently turn into FOIA lawsuits. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. Um, it's nothing personal. 
<laughs> no, not at all. But that does suck when it does happen because that gets a lot more expensive. Yeah, this one uh, reporter, Charles Orstein, uh, tried to appeal the Department of Defense for a story he was doing on uh, drug companies paying doctors. It took three and a half years to get the final verdict, right. which was a denial. Yeah. So how about that? So here's the process. You file a FOIA request. You wait 20 days. Mm-hmm. Hopefully within that time, they respond to you. If they don't respond to you, you can appeal based on uh, their lack of response. Or if they respond to you and say no, you can appeal the denial. After 20 days following that, you can then go take it to federal court. And you can also, and this gets a little funny, uh, you can also file a FOIA request about your FOIA requests. Yeah, if it was denied. If it was denied, and then that's when this one reporter is like, that's where it gets really depressing, when you see sort of the the behind-the-curtain process of the stuff. Right. So there, there, we came across some tips from uh, George Washington University's National Security Archive for filing FOIA requests. Good and, tips, I think. Yeah, they're, it's pretty straightforward, but it, it's good to know. Like one of the ones that stood out to me was like, don't don't be an aggressive jerk to the yeah. FOIA officer. In a lot of cases, the FOIA officer might even see things your way, but they might be the only person at their agency who does. They yeah. might work at an agency who thinks that FOIA is stupid and um, is a, a threat to national security. Yeah. And they have to go and convince their colleagues who they have to work with mm-hmm. to give them those files to give to you. And it's they're probably not the most popular person at their, their office. So ticking them off yeah. is not the best idea. So treat them with courtesy, with uh-huh. respect. Sure. Be direct. Don't include tons of supporting um information and emails. You want to give them as much information as you can. But be succinct. Yeah. And you also don't want your request to be too broad, although I think there's a lot of FOIA journalists who would disagree with this. But apparently the broader your request, the more difficult it makes it, the more likely it is to be denied. Whereas if you can say, this is what I'm looking for specifically. Yeah. And the more likely it is to um, overlap with other agencies, which is just going to complicate things further. Yeah. Um, they say don't include a lot of narratives, even if you think your story is important. Like, mm-hmm. like if you if you send a request that starts with "Dear Sir, I'm an anarchist from Boise, Idaho, and I think whatever." When I was a boy, <laughs> yeah. not not a good way to get started. Right. Leave out some of those details. Try and be succinct. Try and be to the point. A lot of this is common sense stuff. Well, a lot of it. One of the common sense things that I would not have thought to to do first is to look to see if this information is already out there. That is huge. And I would not have thought that either. There's a lot of declassified information Mm -hmm. that exists. Uh, A lot of time on these agency websites, they have it. A lot of times, I mean, it says in here, and this is very true. I've done it. Congress has just tons and tons of material about public policy online that you can find. So it might already be out there. You, um, you can also contact, like, if there's a public interest group or something like that yeah. that's focused on your topic, like they, they've already they done might it. have access to it. Yeah. I read that, um, an article about a woman in Oregon who um, The Intercept wrote an article on. I, can't, I think it's called like, The Poison Papers or something. Mm-hmm. This woman has been fighting chemical companies because of what they were doing in her backyard for 
decades right. and has like a hundred thousand pages of internal documents and memos and stuff from lawsuits that they're now scanning and digitizing and yeah. putting onto the web. But um, she would be a, a great person to go to for those specific art for those yeah for those sources. I bet you at this point, unless it's something very specifically related to you personally mm-hmm. or your family, mm-hmm. someone has probably either asked about it and gotten it. And it exists or asked and been denied. Yeah. And the other thing is, is apparently I think the 2016 amendments um, said that you if uh, if a document has been requested three or more times, yeah. they have to release it to the public. Like yep. it's just released after that. And then some um, agencies will maintain a FOIA reading room on their mm-hmm. site, which will have all the documents that have been publicly released through FOIA. Yeah. I thought three was a pretty heartening number, actually. Yeah, I thought so, too. I could have... Uh, uh, if it would have said 300, I would not have been surprised. Right. So the fact that it said three, I was like, all right, that's, yeah, that's, it's, that's legit. It's a magic number. <laughs> so there's a lot of, um, a lot of loopholes to this, right? Oh, yes. And I mean, also, you got to step back here and think about what you're doing. Like you are asking someone in the government to do research for you mm-hmm. that you could probably do better if only you had the access to the stuff that they had yeah, access to. Sure. And the whole reason you're having to ask them in the first place is because the government is, uh, unjustly keeping things in secret that it shouldn't be. Yeah. It's a little uh, Orwellian, to say the least. It is. Okay. But there's a lot of loopholes associated with this that will keep a government agency from, from approving your request every time. Yeah, and the first thing they point out in our article, which is bears repeating, is you are asking for something. You are not guaranteed anything. Right. This is a request yeah. that you're submitting. Uh, things that you definitely cannot do or get physical objects mm-hmm. uh, like you can't request uh, like evidence from the JFK shooting to be sent to your house. Right. Send me the magic <laughs> bullet. Uh, private information about an individual uh, which gets a little hinky. That's over the years they've gone back and forth on uh, really th- at the basis of it and we'll get to uh, these, some of these landmark cor- court rulings that decided these things but whether or not uh, the public interest outweighs privacy rights. Yes. Which is a big thing. Yeah. Uh, and then information uh, that's covered under the nine exemptions that I think we kind of have to read through these, right? I think so. All right. Go ahead. Uh, the first one is any information that's classified for national security purposes. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Uh, then you've got records that are only about an agency's personnel rules and practices. I did not get that one, which makes it seem super shady to me. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> Like no no break room rules, CIA break room rules. Right. Shall be posted. What are you doing in the break room? I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> Clean up your coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, information that's prohibited from being released because of another statute. That just seems like a very long way of saying kind of anything we'd think of. Right. Um, documents that protect trade secrets or contain information that could damage a company's business. You Like you can't petition Coca-Cola for their secret formula. Or, you know, anything that would show that the telecoms were working with the NSA for the PRISM project or something like that. Right. And not Coca-Cola, obviously, but petition the government for Coca-Cola. Right. Um, Number five is the most used one. Uh Apparently, it's so frequently used, it's called the I'm withholding because I want to clause. Okay. It's, It's basically any... Any documents that contain personal opinions, recommendations, or conclusions. Which is to say all documents. Right. And yeah. it's it's ostensibly meant to protect uh, legal documents, so attorney-client privilege. Right. And to promote a, um, a tone of frankness 
among interagency and intra-agency communications. Basically, if you are emailing your colleague and you're worried about somebody reading it on the outside, mm-hmm. you're not going to be as open and frank, and it's going to f- freeze free speech within the, the right. agency. It's so broad, so vague, and everything falls under it that um, a, a, a number five is is the exemption most frequently used. Like the, all they really needed is number five. Basically. <laughs> um, personal privacy, um, things like social security numbers, phone numbers, addresses, uh, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, law enforcement documents that could interfere with law enforcement. Uh, deprive person of a fair trial. Uh, invasion of privacy again. Reveal identities of confidential sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, law enforcement techniques or procedures for investigations or prosecutions or anything that endangers a person's life or safety. Right. Uh, this one is the one that drives me up the wall. Information related to agencies that are responsible for regulating financial institutions. See previous rant. Right. Uh, documents that protect information related to geological or geophysical data, including maps. Makes sense to me. That one does. So those are the nine. I don't know if those, I mean, there were originally nine. Are those the original nine, or have those just been tweaked over the years? I believe those are the original nine, and they're still in use. All right. So um, there is this really good point made by a journalist named Philip Eel, Eil, E-I-L. Yeah. Um, and he says that, if you are a an editor who is being approached with a story about how another journalist is being stonewalled in their FOIA request, mm-hmm. that you kind of have an obligation to tell other people about it. Because if you don't, he says, quote, you're not being neutral. You're helping the government keep taxpayers in the dark. Yeah. And so that combined with, you know, going up against the government and then a light being shined on it when the government doesn't cooperate and follow the letter of the law yeah. just means like you might as well not have FOIA. Yeah. That it's just basically a, a roll of the dice whether you're going to get it or not rather than predictable uh, under the terms of the law. Right. So you, don't don't file a FOIA request, get denied, and then just say, all right. Right. Or if you go to a, another publication and you're at that publication, don't just be like, this is boring. No one cares about that. You need to write about it. People need to talk about it yeah. if if stonewalling is going on from FOIA requests. All right. So we promised a couple of uh, landmark court rulings. Um, this first one is good. 1976, uh, Philippi v. the CIA. I think usually when you're v. the CIA, we know which way that's going to work <laughs> out, right? right. <laughs> Probably not in Philippi's favor. No. Uh, and that's what happened in this case. So this was the very famous, everyone's heard the phrase, uh, we can neither confirm nor deny the existence or non-existence right. of X. This is where that came from. Uh, and the original case was in 1968. Uh, there was a Soviet submarine sunk off the coast of Hawaii, and the CIA said, who should we partner with to build a ship to go look for this thing? Howard Hughes, of course. We need to do an episode just on that. On Howard Hughes? or the or On the, the Glomar Explorer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and that ship was called the Glomar Explorer, and... Um, to salvage the submarine, so there was a Rolling Stone reporter, filed a FOIA request, and the CIA very famously said, we cannot confirm, uh, we refuse to confirm or deny any such document. And he went, well, what does that even mean? <laughs> and like, no one's ever even said that before. Yeah. And the CIA went, hey, nice work. <laughs> yeah. Go for- <laughs> I think we flummoxed everybody. They did. Uh, and it did work. So uh, eventually it went to federal appeals court, and they said, CIA wins. 
Uh, and now that is known as the Glomar response that you hear over and over and over. Right. That's where its origin lies. Pretty neat. Um, there's another one uh, that was pretty big. It, it actually came into play pretty quickly after it, it was uh, ruled, I guess. Yeah. So 2016, the U.S. Court of Appeals said that if you have work-related federal agency emails in a personal account, yeah. you can't get around a FOIA request. Yeah. Who would and, do that? And that was used <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Uh, including most famously by Hillary Clinton, who um, her whole email scandal came out of a FOIA request. That's right. There were a whole bunch of people who had filed FOIA requests dating as far back as 2012. I think the um, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington crew filed one of the first ones. Um, and the State Department just kept losing them or said they weren't aware of any FOIA requests or whatever. And uh, then a FOIA reporter, he, he's a self-styled FOIA terrorist, I believe. Named self-styled? Jason, yeah. he, dr- he dresses himself? I think so. <laughs> um, Jason Leopold yeah, filed yeah. a FOIA request um, for Clinton's stuff as well and then was in talks, I believe, with the State Department for getting that FOIA request fulfilled. And it led to the existence of Clinton's server yeah. in her home that she was keeping State Department secrets on or using for State Department official email. Yeah, he eventually had to sue, I think, even. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, almost out of the gate. Um, but that's a, that's another point, too, is that, like, again, a lot of these things quickly become FOIA lawsuits, which if you're a, a journalist with a big organization that's willing to spend money on FOIA lawsuits, that's great. But if you're just an independent journalist or a responsible citizens right. group or something like that, you might not have the, the money to go to court. And the government knows that. So a lot of, a lot of FOIA requests just die yeah. upon denial because the person doesn't have the resources to take the government to court over it. Yeah. Jason Leopold, uh, bears mentioning for sure because he is, uh, He's Mr. FOIA, Dr. FOIA. Yeah. Um, he has probably filed more uh, FOIA lawsuits than anyone. In fact, it says so. Um, anyone, more more than anyone except for the New York Times over the years, in the 15 years he's been. The entire New York Times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he worked for Vice uh, for many, many years and now works for BuzzFeed and um, was inducted into the National Freedom of Information Hall of Fame, which I've never heard of, mm-hmm. but that's adorable. And uh, he's the one who... Uh, well, he sued for Clinton's emails. He um, he's the one that got information on Guantanamo. He's the one that got information on uh, NSA and and Snowden uh, Snowden's revelations. Yeah, he has like a knack for thinking of what to ask for. Yeah. So like he asked for the drafts of the talking points for the NSA. After the Snowden emails or the Snowden revelations came through. Which is to say he's a great researcher. He has a great researcher's mind. He's about as good as they come as far as researchers go. Yeah. Yeah. We should put him on staff. Sure. I'm sure he'd take us up on it (laughs) right away. Yeah. We'd be like, we need you to look into crayons. (laughs) Uh, You got anything else? Nope. Okay. Well, if you want to know more about FOIA, you know what? Send a FOIA request. That's the best way to get acquainted. Figure it out. Go do it. Let us know how it turned out. Uh, well, since I said FOIA request in there somewhere, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I think this is anonymous. I never heard back from uh, this, this uh, person. Okay. 
But it's a good one because we got uh, a legit um, psychopath. Yeah, I think this one's probably anonymous. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking to see. No, did not hear back. Um, hello, guys. Love your show. Um, I've always wanted a reason to write, but uh, I'm endlessly learning and entertained by your show. I felt compelled to write as a high-functioning psychopath. I found at a young age, uh, after many lock-up fires, lock-ups, fires, arrest, trouble, etc., I know I didn't act or react like normies or normal people. I realized at 13 I had to learn to play nice with others. I would be locked up. Became a student of human behavior. Cry when others cry. Show shock when others do. I'm a successful and good family man. Uh, father of two college-age kids, one of which is a psychopath. And that was a very odd conversation. Uh, yes, something is missing in my brain, though I don't count this as bad. I've been in so many emergency situations, avalanches, swift water rescue, medical emergencies. I've heard people say uh, the training takes over and it feels more like taking off the mask. Normies panic and run. I just hit the switch. I do agree, however, that people like this should be avoided if at all possible, especially if they haven't learned to play well with others. That's a little scary sounding. <laughs> uh, some of us on the spectrum are safe and, dare I say, necessary. Uh, some of us can learn and care and learn to care and feel. I have learned through much trouble and strife that I can care through 20 years of AA and NA. So, uh, very interesting, revealing email. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty thrilling life, too. Yeah, and, you know, we heard from another psychopath, and I think they've come to terms with the fact that their brain is different, mm -hmm. and I would still like to function in the society, so I have learned to do so. Yeah, or they'll lock me up. Right, and we talked about the spectrum, and, you know, mm -hmm. it's just fascinating to me. That was a good episode. Yeah, I, I like so that one. Despite our weird pronunciations <laughs> well thanks a lot um anonymous for writing in we appreciate you um and uh if you want to get in touch with us anonymous or otherwise you can tweet to us at sysk podcast you can join us on facebook.com slash stuff you should know you can also hang out with chuck on facebook at charles w chuck bryant you can hang out with me on twitter too by the way at josh um clark send us an email to stuff podcast at howstuffworks.com and as always, hang out with us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.